0: today's episode. We're going to be talking about altars, specifically why people use them and what to include on them. Lancel, do you want to start us off?
1: Uh, I'm going to say that for next episode that we have an announcement to make. We'll be having our first guest on the show. I'm not going to say specifically who it is, but I'm just going to say that we have a longer episode planned and a great segment.
0: I'm very excited about our next episode, so make sure that you guys tune in for that. Okay, so I will start us off. Your altar is the space that you dedicate to your magical workings. It's a space that a practitioner sets up for things like a Sabbath, magical workings, or permanently for all sorts of practices like meditation, divination. Basically, your altar is a place for transformation. It can be a place of worship, but that's not necessarily the case. For example, if your practice is secular, you're not going to use your altar for worship or or any tools specific to a deity.
1: Okay, I think when discussing about altars, we need to think about that. Altar is sort of a broad term, so we can narrow it down to sacred space, shrine, and altar. But I think in this episode, we're not going to really touch on one Um, like Sacred Space, Shrine, we're not going to really touch upon how they are specifically, so we're just going to say altar as as a general term for this episode, since they blend into one another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I did have a little bit written down here to just kind of give us a brief description of what they are, but we'll be using the umbrella umbrella term throughout the episode.
1: I have taken a screenshot of a page from a little book of altar magic by DJ Conway, and I think I I should start us off with the history of altars and sacred spaces and shrines.
0: Okay, go right
1: ahead. Altars have been used from almost the beginning of human civilization, as far back as the Paleolithic age. Yet many people today do not understand exactly what an altar is outside of religious structure, and do not believe that they can set up personal altars in their home. Nevertheless, at a subconscious level, we set up various altars without giving any conscious thought to the process. It is common to see groupings of family photos arranged on shelves, tables, and pianos.
0: Yeah, to this day, altars can be found in many different places like shrines, temples, churches, and other places of worships. They're commonly used in religions such as like Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, and modern paganism, and many historic faiths also use them, including Romans, Greeks, and North religions. The belief is that altars probably originated when certain localities came to be regarded as holy or inhibited by spirits or gods, or whose intervention could be solicited by the worshipper. I know some beginners may ask what the difference between an altar and a shrine is, because I certainly had that question. But basically, simply put, is a shrine. Uh, serves a different purpose. It's a holy or sacred place dedicated to a specific deity, ancestor, hero, martyr, saint, etc., and is used in the veneration or worship of this figure. But a lot of people use their altars today for the same purposes that you would use a shrine, which is why, as Lancel said, we're going to be using altar as an umbrella term throughout the episode.
1: Also, I think many people, as said in our ancestor episode, I'll be linking it up in the card above. If you're on Spotify, I'll be putting it in the description. Um, Many people tend to place photos or tend to place objects in certain clusters or ways subconsciously without us knowing. So in the mundane, we also see altars in a way.
0: Absolutely. You can have altars for many different reasons. For example, I have a beauty altar in my bedroom. And I use that for things related to self-care, beauty rituals. Uh, Different things like that. Um, And to the mundane eye, that may not look like an altar, but it absolutely is something that when I come to that space, you know, I activate it by lighting a candle and I use it for those specific intentions. So
1: I'm going to ask a question. So, are altars necessary?
0: Well, I think this depends on who you ask. Personally, I say no. If you're using an altar as a place to do your magical workings, then basically the simple act of arranging your tools is like creating a temporary altar.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think in a way before spell work, we do tend to set up an altar in a way. I wouldn't say it's essential when creating a spell or a ritual. I think we tend to arrange our tools and objects and whatever we're going to use as a temporary altar in a way.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And that brings me to, um, I was going to make a point, essentially like your practice is your own and you do what you're able to do with what you have. So for example, if you're in the broom closet, that might be a question that a lot of people have is an altar necessary for your craft. Um, and if you aren't able to have an altar on display, you can create, um, a temporary altar or a travel altar, just a space where you're able to do some workings, even if it's again, just meditation and divination, it doesn't have to be something that's out on display all the time. It's personal to you, so um, arrange it or have it however you want, and if you only want to have a temporary one for when you're doing your workings, or if you're only able to, then that's perfectly fine as well.
1: Another question beginners tend to ask is, do I need to change it every Sabbath, or have it in a specific way?
0: Again, I feel like this whole episode, I'm basically going to say it depends on who you ask, (laughs) Um, because... You absolutely can change it with every Sabbath, but I don't think it's necessary. It it just depends on your practice and how you feel. I love to decorate my altar for the seasons and the sabbats, so that's something that I personally enjoy doing.
1: I do too. I agree. But don't feel like if you don't really want to celebrate Lamas, um, you don't really need to decorate a space or altar if you don't really want to celebrate a holiday or sabbat. Also, it depends on the tradition you're following. I know that in Wicca, they tend to have god on the right and goddess on the left. Even if you're a Wiccan, if you're solitary and not in a strict coven, I don't think you should be limited to that.
0: Yeah. How your altar should be set up is something that's been debated among the spiritual community for a long time. It's said that in the beginning, when you're setting your altar up, it's generally to honor your ancestors or for yourself. Thus, it's the intention and the items being used should be more important than their placement. Overall, allowing the items to speak to you and their place and place them accordingly is how I go about it. So if I want to include something directly related to a Sabbath, then I will. But it could be something that invokes the feeling or intention of that Sabbath and how I celebrate that's personal to me. It may not be something that you would include on your altar for the same Sabbath if you were to decorate for that Sabbath. So I think it's very personal.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that we all did this when we were beginners. We went to Google Images and just searched up altar, and we just see all these Wiccan altars. I'm not like wicca bashing or anything, but I did this, I think a lot of us did this. Um, You don't need to, like, copy an altar. I think you can take inspiration, but don't feel compelled to have specific ways of setting things up, especially if you're solitary.
0: Absolutely. I did the exact same thing in the beginning as well, I even went as far as to going and getting some tools for my altar that I thought were necessary which we will get into in a later episode, but basically on your altar, you just include things that are personal to you that bring forth the emotions of like happiness or empowerment or that are specific to your craft and how you go about doing your, your workings.
1: Uh, for me, I have like a weird saying, keep it as your kitchen table so you don't want it to be cluttered. You just want it to be clean in general.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. If you're going to have a permanent altar displayed, I think it is very important, as you said, to, to keep it clear of clutter, of dirt, because those things harbor sometimes negative or stale energy, and they could affect your work. For me, where should you have your altar? So for me, the location of your altar will depend on your circumstances and what feels right for your practice. For some people, this may be in their homes, but it Is also not always the case. Others may have spaces outside like their garden or an area in the forest if that's accessible for them. For me, my primary altar is in my kitchen.
1: I'm going to start this off with a book recommendation. So uh, read Moon Spells. There's a good section on setting up an altar in specific directions. So I think especially if we watch um, Wiccan um, or read through, well, Specifically, if we watch Wiccan YouTubers, content creators or authors, I'm not Wicca bashing in any way, but I'm just gonna say that we're told the direction that your altar faces is important. I agree and disagree. Um, It's just a layer of intention for me, so you shouldn't feel compelled to um, have a specific area an altar face somewhere specific
0: yeah no i agree what you include on your altar and how you arrange your tools will depend on your path and your tradition tradition however you should not feel restricted to include certain items or have it in a certain area just because it's specific to that tradition or craft just do what resonates with you and what feels right to you, and what you're able to do with what you have, right?
1: I've taken a screenshot out of my ebook from uh, Moon Spells by Diane Ahlequist. I butchered this, but whatever. And I'm just going to say the specific correspondences of the direction. So, North corresponds to the Earth. Um, it's usually used for health issues, healing of the body and spirit. South is the element of fire, uh, issues with relationships of any kind and creativity. East is the element of air. So this is usually used for career issues and strength. And the West is element of water, um, letting go and general emotion.
0: Right. I think that brings me to uh, point in terms of your path or your tradition. A lot of people have questions, I feel, in regards to, you know, what if they don't follow a certain path or tradition or worship or work with any sort of deities? Like, can they still have an altar if they're secular? And I think that goes into what you just said about the directions, using those elements. You know, you can use planetary magic and call in the energies of the different planets. Like, you, I feel like your space, your altar is your working space. And again, I feel like I'm gonna say this a lot throughout the episode, but it's specific to your craft and your needs. So I don't feel like you need to follow a certain path or tradition or work with any sort of deities in order to have your altar set up.
1: Yeah, I agree. You shouldn't feel compelled to worship or work with any specific entity, deity, ancestor, or if you're secular and don't necessarily believe in them, you can still have a general workspace.
0: Exactly. That brings me into my next point, size, Size. the size of your altar. I feel like a lot of people question the size of it. In the beginning for me, I had a very tiny little space and that was all that I had dedicated to my area to do my workings it wasn't very large at all so I feel like your your altar can be as large or small as you like for example some practitioners have a whole room and other practitioners only have a small coffee table or a travel altar so it doesn't have to be complicated it can be as simple or as elaborate as you wish this is your practice in your space and you create in the way that suits your needs and makes you happy. Like back in ancient, in the ancient times, ancient like air quotes there, <laughs> altars were like raised platforms made out of dirt, stone, carved rocks, or they could be elaborate articles of furniture. So it's really up to the practitioner to decide where they would like to have their altar and what it's made up of and how big it is.
1: I'm gonna bring up specifically two examples that um, I wouldn't say contradict each other, but two ends of the spectrum. So on one side we have King Solomon, who was a king, and he could actually afford temples and churches. Some people don't have the space for like a nine-foot Solomonic circle in their like, small New York apartment, so you shouldn't feel compelled to um, have an altar or specific space that's really large with all these fancy tools. Second of all, I'm going to bring out the example that I mentioned in our last episode. People f- from the Atlantic slave trade couldn't really have altars, So they use their kitchen table as their altar. So you shouldn't think that's a specific area or desk or size or some setup to be permanent. You don't need to. These people use their kitchen table.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And it goes back to my my point of you know being in the in the broom closet and not being able to have a, a permanent altar. I feel like there might be a common misconception, especially among beginners, that you need to have an altar set out or it's not gonna, it's going to affect your working like especially if you have an ongoing spell or something to have that altar set out for the duration of the spell like for example if you have a spell that's seven days long um you don't necessarily especially if you can't you don't necessarily have to have that altar set up the whole time your spell is active you can still like for example if it was a candle spell you could snuff the candle put it away. And then when you're ready to work on it again, open it back up and work on it. It doesn't have to be something that's displayed constantly. And that also goes into my next point. Um, the size of your altar also does not correspond to the strength of your spell or how serious you are about your practice.
1: Yeah, I agree. If you're specifically in the broom closet or don't really have the space, you can always use a shoe box. You can use mint trays. You can use suitcases. You shouldn't feel compelled to have this big setup. It's somewhat classist in a way to say that you have to have 30 inches by 30 inches of an altar, like random example.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Also just to go on the note of being in the broom closet, if you are in the broom closet and displaying certain things may put you at risk of you know, losing your home or there being some sort of conflict within your home, don't feel like it's necessary for you to have this uh, displayed or have it at all for it to you to do your workings like it's not necessary and you shouldn't put yourself or your livelihood in jeopardy just so that you can have an altar. Some examples that we could include for anybody who's looking to start an altar or just to give some ideas for what you could put on your altar that may not necessarily be tied to a certain tradition or path could be things like candles, herbs, incense you could incorporate pictures or symbols sigils those sorts of things salt what do you have
1: active spell work i think that's an important note um also that alters um i wouldn't say well everything is your tool when we think of traditional tools in vert we think of besoms wands atomes cauldrons i think also objects that reflect intention are our tools. Objects that show intention and help spell work. Let's say you're using, you're making a money altar, so pennies, coins. Um, Let's be specific. Let's say we want a new car, so we put like a toy car. Active spell work with that intention. So I think this relates to sympathetic magic in a way, that we are showing our intention and we're being actively reminded in a way because we're not gonna like realistically walk through our drawer in the morning and just forget about everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have an example uh, that I mentioned earlier with my uh, beauty altar. I have things aside from candles and incense. I have things like jewelry that I've charmed for specific intentions that I keep on my beauty altar that I'll wear throughout the day. Um, those could be some examples that of things that you can include and it's not in the traditional mindset. You could have things like crystals, which are more uh, some something that someone would think of that's more traditional uh, crystals. You could have anything that would cleanse your room in terms of sound like bells or the singing bowls could be an example you could have jars of water for moon water rain water whatever any sort of divination like tarot pendulums runes those sorts of things you can house those on your altar as well
1: uh, i'm gonna say that we're not gonna specifically deep dive into those objects in this episode since we already have something else pre-planned
0: certain people certain traditions have certain ways of doing things um, i heard that uh, a saying or advice where some people will say that it's, you shouldn't have a lighter, for example, example on your altar and use only matches instead, just because it's a more natural thing to do. I disagree with that. I use lighters all the time for my working. So <laughs> again, just use what you have. And if you only have a lighter, if you don't want to use matches, like it's not, the end-all be-all. You have to have matches.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: And just using regular things from like your kitchen, like bowls or plates for incense or water. You don't have to have special tools, again, that you would have to have on your altar.
1: Also, I heard some people say that you need like a special cleansing salt and just like a kitchen salt. In the past, no one realistically did that. Like they were never, they never said, oh my ritual basil ran out. (laughs)
0: Right? I think there's, especially now, there's like the aesthetic witchcraft that goes along with like consumerism and having to have all of these fancy tools and things specific to your craft when in reality, especially in folk magic, you use what you have on hand. I need some rosemary. I'm going to go to the kitchen and grab it out of the herbs that I have in my cupboard, right? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when we blend magic in the mundane. If you practice something like kitchen magic, which I do actively, I like to bake, I'm not realistically going to like cut a pie with an atome.
0: Exactly. And I mean, if you want it to go there, um, and it's not necessary for you to do, but if you want it to go there, you could use your atome, or you could just hold the knife that you're cutting your pie or your bread with and Just think about the intention that you want to put into that and then just cut with it. Or you might not do that at all. And again, that's specific to your craft and how you do the things that, or how you do things.
1: Georgina specifically spoke about this. And I'm just going to reiterate that in this context. So she said that in spell work, we're affecting the macrocosm with a microcosm. So spell work is just a reflection of our intention. So it doesn't really need to be perfect, since at the end of the day, it's mostly symbolic.
0: Exactly. And to go off of that, there are universal symbols that everybody will recognize. But then there are also personal symbols that are specific to the practitioner, as I said earlier in the episode. So something that holds a certain meaning for me, may hold a different meaning for you. For me, when I go to do any sort of working at my altar, especially if my altar hasn't been quote-unquote woken up yet, then I will warm it up by lighting a candle or activating that space prior to doing any sort of workings. That's not universal across the board. I find some practitioners just go right into their workings Um, But I think that it's important to just kind of wake up that energy before you do any sort of spell work. So I think personally, activation of your altar is an important part of before doing any work.
1: For me, it's always cleansing and then dotting the four corners of the desk or space with olive oil or special oil that reflect the intention of the space. Also, I'm going to start talking about cleanse culture. We talked about this in episode one, but you shouldn't feel compelled to cleanse the space each time you use it. Once a week, once a month, every day.
0: Especially if you're doing protection. Like if you're keeping up with your protection it's not necessary to cleanse every day
1: even i think it somewhat contradicts your spell work if you're cleansing actively even if it's like more active than the spell work itself
0: i think when you're doing something that's particularly draining or that may have ties to some more negative energies it's important to cleanse but again like you said it's not something that you need to do on a daily basis however some practitioners do that's just my opinion warrior witch nike on her youtube channel talked about um, digital altar spaces in her digital witchcraft video and I thought that that was a brilliant way um, especially in today's modern uh, society to have an altar um, without actually having the space for a physical one Um, so that could be an image that you work with or on an app or something along those lines where it's basically just it evoking those emotions and intentions that you're looking to have in your spell work. So I think utilizing that as a as a resource is a wonderful way to incorporate altars into your practice.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to recognize that we're living in a modern era and we can't, we're traveling more. And I'm specifically pulling this because they used to do it here. So here people in the olden times had like wardrobes that they'd attach to carriages with like I, the church altar I don't know how to phrase this realistically we can't do that nowadays I mean
0: I would love to have a big old suitcase that I could just carry all of my magical tools in when I'm traveling and stuff like that but like you said realistically I can't do that so I do have a small travel altar that I like to bring with me if I'm going to be away from home for a certain length of time. But again, if you're not able to, if you're in the broom closet, or you just, you know, physically not able to, then a digital altar is a great resource to utilize. I was gifted a book. I think it's The Witch's Companion. Now, it's very... Uh, Wiccan based, um, but they do have a. It does have a great section on altars and talks a little bit more about what an altar is, how to set one up. Again, if you're not Wiccan, you can take it with a grain of salt and just pull what works for you. Um, so I would recommend that book.
1: The book that I recommended earlier.
0: I recently read a book called The um, Practical Witches Spell Book for Love, Happiness, and Success, and um, the author included a section on altar setups specifically seasonal altars, which I thought was really great. Uh, Again, it does have some ties uh, to the Wicca path. So if you're not Wiccan, then um, you can choose whether or not you want to read it or just take what resonates with you out from it. Um, But I really liked how it incorporated uh, seasonal altars and what you can include on your altar for each season.
1: I think I have another book to recommend. I just need to open it. Hmm. I have so many books that I, like, get lost sometimes. (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. W, where's the W section? Tarot. Um, Nope, it's not in this file, apparently. I'm just going to spend, like, ten minutes just looking for a book. Sigils, notes, not runes, not numerology. oh, heart magic, okay, I think I found it. It's called Grimoire of a Kitchen Witch by Rachel Patterson. Patterson. It's also a great book. Um, That just
0: made me think. Um when we were talking earlier about location for your altar, um, again, I think when we were talking earlier about location for your altar and utilizing different locations outside of your home, um, I think that's a great way, especially if you can't openly practice to have an altar, a physical altar, um, that you can do your workings. If you're in an area where you're able to do that, like for me, I live in, um, In Canada and it's pretty cold here right now so realistically I could have an altar outside but we get a lot of snow here so realistically having an altar outside during uh, the winter months is not something that I can do but I do have a location outside that I use in the spring and summer for my workings so I think that's uh, also a great alternative for people who can't have a physical altar indoors.
1: Also, when we touch on sacred space outside, we should be aware that it's going to take a lot of more planning. Um, You need to check the weather. Um, Inside, you have more commodity in a way.
0: Absolutely. And you want to think about other things as well. Like if you're going to be working with certain tools or foods or anything like that, you want to be very conscious of the... Uh, plants around you, but also of the animals around you. Like you don't want to be leaving things that are going to the animals are going to eat. That's that's going to make them sick, or that's not going to be you know biodegradable or um, you know eco friendly. So salt
1: speak. is biodegradable, but don't use it. Don't use salt outside. <laughs> also, a great book on we somewhat talked. We did talk about um, folk magic blending into the mundane. So also another good book is The Housewitch* by Erin Murphy-Hisscock.
0: Perfect. I think we're going to have a lot of book recommendations for people here. So there'll be a lot of uh, resources for you to take and, and go and do your own research because I think that's extremely important when you're starting your own practice is, you know, take what you get from other people and then do your own research, apply it in a way that is applicable to you. Some examples um, to set up a mock altar would be for me anyways. Um, Generally, I try to include items that represent the four directional posts or elements. Um, So sometimes I'll have water, Uh, I'll have a candle burning. I'll have incense. Um, Sometimes I have dirt or salt. Uh, I usually, before I begin any workings, I will, um, if I need to, cleanse the space either by sound or by smoke. And then I will, um, is this what you're talking about? Like in terms of like the process that we're going through? Okay. And then I will um, call in the different elements to aid me in my work. And then I'll go about my work. So it's pretty basic for me. I'm not super elaborate in the stuff that I do. I try to, like I said, include items for the different directional posts or elements and then Um, make sure that my space is clear. Usually I will set the mood with music, make sure that I'm going to be undisturbed, uh, because I have children. So (laughs) if I'm doing, especially if I'm doing something that's particularly, that requires like my full undivided attention, I'll make sure that uh, it's at a time where I'm not going to be disturbed by the rest of my family.
1: Also this comes in with um, you mentioning the four directional elements, that some people can't really burn incense or have lit fires, so you can substitute. Use painted rocks, crystals, use um, wooden This. Just find a substitute for anything. Don't feel compelled to add something that you can't do.
0: Yeah, for instance, uh, Budget Witchcraft, if you're going to the dollar store, they have those little LED tea lights that you can use. That would be a representation of that element, as Lancel said. I mean, it's... Sympathetic magic, so it's in a way, it's it's there to represent what you're calling forth, the, those energies that you're calling forth to help you in your spell work. So again, use what you can and what you have available to you.
1: You shouldn't be compelled to spend money on something that you don't want to buy, or if you're on a budget. Budget tips are somewhat controversial.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. Basically, yeah, if you're looking to set up an altar, um, it's going to be specific to you and and your craft, your practice. So don't feel confined to a certain tradition or path, or to include things that you don't have on hand or that you don't want to include.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong, so that's important.
0: Right, and if you feel like you can't have an altar or you don't have the space for an altar, don't let that stop you from practicing. Yeah, I agree. So I'm Betty, and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at the witch from the north.
1: And I'm Lancel. You can follow me at, on IG at lancel the island witch. You can. Find me on Twitter at Lancel D. That's T H E. And yeah.
0: Thank you for tuning in today, and make sure you catch our next episode
1: where we have our first guest.